Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or magazine you are already live. in the business, bringing food Michael and beverage Pulitz to life has written a must with your host, the Food James and Beverage Beard Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. And food and beverage magazine publisher Michael Pulitz, Amazon, featuring Books leaders million, in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome, or should I say cheerio? The food industry is where we live, and I am the editor-at-large of Food and Beverage Magazine, and we are thrilled for our 14 million readers who join us every month for news about what's going on in our industry. And in this post-COVID world, as our industry comes roaring back to life, we find ourselves looking into the future of food. Food 3.0 is what we're calling it. And as we do, we're imagining how all of the innovations of things we learned and grew to love during the COVID experience, having deliveries come to our house, ghost kitchens, cloud kitchens, having people understand who we are and delight us in our own homes, as well as honor that the world is in a different place today. But didn't we all miss being together? Didn't we all miss the experiences of not only being together, but of going to places and having adventures and tasting new things? One of the things we've seen emerge is our hunger for experiences. We discovered that we can use technologies to go into the world of Web3 in the food and restaurant world, the hospitality industry, and engage our guests to delight them, to welcome them, to make hospitality, to cultivate conviviality, and to conjure magic. This is what the hospitality industry has always done, and we do it with food and drink, with experiences to create memories. We do it in the vernacular of irresistible. We make it possible for people to learn and discover and travel and to discover themselves through self-awareness, through flavor. So why do I tell you all of this? Because we have an extraordinary guest who is joining us today. She's one of the world's leading experts on experiences. Her name is Victoria Taylor. And her company, she is the founder of Victoria Taylor UK, is here to talk about how all of us can appreciate where we're going in the world of food and hospitality, and in particular, how experiences, whether it's the experience of sitting in a seat in a restaurant as we used to know it in Food 2.0, because becomes something else in the future of food in Food 3.0. It's our real honor to welcome Victoria Taylor from her experience headquarters in the United Kingdom. Hello and welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. So did I overstate that too badly or are we pretty much in line? You did great. <laughs> you did great. Thank you for having me. I loved I love what you said about um food 3.0. I love that. Really interesting. 
talk a little bit for our audience. Let's introduce them to your company um, and who you are and how you've come to be in this place at the at the dawn of the yeah. food next, food 3.0. Yeah, do you know what? It's, it's such an interesting time to be in this space. So um, yes, I am founder of Victoria Tell UK um, and I work in creating experiences. Um, and those are experiences that intersect with the human condition, right? So every time we're creating an experience, we always need to put the human at the center of it. So that's what my company does. We take the human being and we work back from there. So at the center of every experience, we, we start with a human, how a human operates, how they respond to different stimuli, different sensory conditions, be that through food, hospitality, um, and, and we build back experiences from there. So yeah, it all centers around people because as, you know, as quick and as fast as the world is moving through different metaverses and technologies, it, you know, at the center of every experience lies a human. So we have to make sure that you know, the, the human is, is central to it all. So that's essentially what my company does. We put the human at the center and we build our experiences to create unique and extraordinary. How do you define experience for the purpose of creating and establishing a brand new industry, which is the experience industry? It might've been called events or it might've been called promotions or special events before, but now we're calling it experiences and it seems to be bigger and broader. Can you tell everybody, because your company is about experiences, how do you define experiences today? What are experiences? Yeah, so experiences, um, they're actually different to every single person. So they're different to you and they're different to me. Um, and, and experiences are sums of moments, in, in my opinion. You know, they're sums of moments that we have. So you and I are having a moment here now. Um, you know, before, before we went live, we were having a moment talking about what we were going to do when we went live. Um, so there, there are sum of moments and curated moments that, again, intersect with the human condition and we create something. So it could be, a, you know, we create a condition for magic to happen. So I would say in the simplest form, you know, for everybody listening is that experiences are a series of moments in a series of moments of a human being's lifespan. So when anybody goes into a restaurant, for example, they have previously to that experience have many other experiences in their lives, yeah? So those could be graduations, birthdays, and then there's contextual experiences. So the experiences that they've had in that day, it could be that prior to going to that restaurant, they lost the car keys, or they had a promotion, or there were, there were all of these different experiences and moments that happened in the day prior to that restaurant experience. And then there's world experience. So the pandemic, for example, um, the war, very sadly, that's happening in the world right now. There are so many different moments that are spinning around and they all spin around on these axes around the human being. And what we're trying to do is we're not just creating an event. We're trying to create something that matters. So experience is creating something that's meaningful amongst life experiences, contextual experiences and world experiences. I just want to make sure I understand because I love that description. Thank you. What you're essentially giving us is an understanding that we're going to make a memory, yep. but more importantly, in this world of Web 3.0 and Food 3.0, which are seeming to intersect right now, we're talking about bond 100%. and community. 
And oh. when we have an experience, that is a moment of bonding. Why do we think this is worth having this incredible conversation with you and why we thought it was so important to bring you here? Because everybody on every project right now is saying community, community, community. But you cannot have community without bonding. And bonding comes through an experience of some kind, whatever that is. And that's why I thought it was really important to come to you and, and say, teach us a little bit about how to be in the experience business and how we can as restaurateurs, as brands, take something from this and say, I'm a host and I am hosting these experiences because these people that are coming in these experiences are my guests. And fundamental to experiences on our end, Food and Beverage Magazine, and Michael wrote the book, Food and Beverage Magazine Guide to Restaurant Success, we really all have the fundamental foundational duty as hosts to light our guests. A hundred percent. That's exactly what it's about. You know, it's about surprise and delight. You know, first and foremost, whatever industry we're in, we are stages of experience. Secondary comes what we do. You know, it's, it's almost like we are creating scenes and acts and we're taking our guests on a journey through a production whether that's through food, hospitality, beverage, whatever it is. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's those bonds that we we create in those in those moments where all of these different spinning conditionings are happening to create meaning with the human being right in the center of it all. Talk about trending in terms of experiences right now. I know that you have a global perspective. And I want you to imagine that you're inspiring people who are in the business of delighting their guests. And I want you to help us translate how the table touch in the front of the house in Food 2.0. I don't know if that's you or is that us making that sound? Um, I don't think it's me. No, I've got I've got my notification silenced, so I'm not sure where that is. I don't know what that is. We're going to find out. <laughs> but I, I was hoping that you would... Uh, share with us if it took place in a restaurant in food 2.0 in the front of the house with a table touch from the chef how can it take place today in your world of experiences how do you bring chefs and restaurants with their guests or brands and their customers to life yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, so my my background prior to having my consultancy, I've kind of worked in a lot of different positions in hospitality. So I've, I've worked washing pots. I've worked waiting on tables. I've worked behind bars. I've worked in housekeeping. I've done many different positions in like throughout my life where I've been very fortunate to have the perspective of head chefs, of head waiters. You know, you know I've gone through that education and ultimately we're all engineers in this big machine but as the world is moving and as the world is changing through different alternate realities and like you know we've we've alluded to the metaverse a couple of times it isn't just about the plate it's about plate to palette you know so it's from plate to palette and it's about what's what's on the table it's not just about what's on the plate, it's what's on the table, what's happening around the plate, not just what's happening on the plate. Because, you know, very often we center dining around what is what is on the plate, what's on the dish, what are we tasting, which never needs to go. That, that's, you know, that's central. Of course, we're talking about dining, we're talking about food. 
what's happening around the plate? What are the sensory experiences that somebody is having outside the food that they're eating? Is there something interactive happening on the table? Is there a the theatrical production around it? You know, if you strip it back, is it not about theatrical production? Are we in a really isolated space where actually there's a lot of white space around the table and that then highlights what's on the plate? It's thinking about the conditions that go beyond the plate to create extraordinary. Are we complementing the plate? Are we enhancing the plate? Are we creating something extraordinary around the plate? But it goes beyond the plate. I think I've probably emphasized that enough, but it yes. goes beyond the plate. You know, of course it's about the food and the menu and the artistic and craftsmanships that goes into the food, but it's everything else that sits around it too. You know, is it immersive? Are we combining this with art? Are we combining it with a production? Is it something where they're interacting with the tablecloth? Is, is the tablecloth telling a story? You know, there are so many ways that we can bring food to life beyond what, what we put into our mouths, you know? How important is authenticity of experience for people? I know in the United States, I'm gonna use my friend, Sean Walchef. He does Cali barbecue. And he's one of the greatest barbecue masters in the United States. But he's in San Diego and nobody necessarily thinks of San Diego as being as the, like the barbecue capital, right? We think of like, I don't know, Texas or the yeah. Carolinas or Kansas City. But if you want a really good experience, he will have you come to his place to have a barbecue experience. And I'm going to use that as an example. And people that love barbecue want to have that. Teach me how you do it. Show me how you do it. I want to, I want to taste it, try it, make it, buy it. I want to be in it. I want to. I want to be with you. I want to have all that authenticity. How important is that in the future of our experiences? Do we want more than just a great brisket sandwich? Do we, or pulled pork sandwich? Is it more than the food? Do we want more than the food everywhere? Or is that, is that something that was just from the pandemic and we're going to let that go because we don't really want to become barbecue masters, but we just want to know how it happens. Yeah, no, not at all. I, th I think that's a really good question. And I think that, <clears throat> you know, actually, it, it depends upon context. Again, when we talked about those, you know, axes that are all spinning around each other, do you, do you want an experience where it's just about the food today or tomorrow or the weekend? You know, it can vary. But I think ultimately we have to look beyond, you know, sometimes we try and pinpoint what it is as a whole but it, it's continuously moving you know it's, it's always moving we have needs wants desires that changes on a day-to-day -day basis but what we have to remember is what our businesses sit inside of and what our businesses sit inside of is an experience economy you know it's not just the hospitality business that a hospitality business is competing with you know first and foremost we're all competing for attention and, and, and that's the reality, you know, in the world that we live in, we're competing for attention. You look on social media and what we're trying to do is stop people from scrolling. We want them to stop scrolling past and go, that's the restaurant that I want to go to. But when your restaurant is sitting in a world of Kardashians, restaurants, hotels, sports cars, businesses, beaches, there are, there are so many things that sit in those feeds ultimately we have to stand out. So it could be that we're craving an authentic experience. And I think actually following the pandemic, we do crave authenticity more because we've, we've kind of lacked being able to go to those cultural places 
and when you lack something, you crave it more. So I, I think that we've lacked that and we do want to absorb cultures and more genuine cultures, but we're also craving experiences because we've lacked them as well. So I think that there isn't there isn't one necessary answer to that. You know, is it this way or is it that way? I think we're continuously moving and that will chop and change, but the experience economy is going nowhere. You know, the experience economy continues to revolve and move and move and people are continuing to innovate and create and create. And as people are doing that, and as people are innovating, if we don't do that, then maybe we kind of get left behind for being the one that isn't really doing anything and isn't isn't doing anything new. So for the restaurants that are maybe doing the same thing and the same thing and, and, and just doing the food, that might be great within the local area for a while, or it might be great with your, that's okay. It might be great with your regular community for a while, but it, you know, it is looking to the wider context of the world and going, you know, we, we do live in an experience economy and every experience that we create matters. Talk a little bit for me and for the audience yeah. about the difference between economies and experience for restaurateurs and the ecosystem for brands, because there's higher stakes, you would argue, for a restaurant that lives and dies on the front lines. But in fact, the stakes scale much bigger for the big brands that have a bigger audience that may have a disparate hunger, appetite for experience. I want to talk because we have in our community at yeah. Food and Beverage Magazine, both individual restaurateurs whom we are devoted to and love and our yes. brand partners. Okay. all of whom make up our ecosystem and the food environment here that we're talking to. So I'm going to ask you to do two things. Let's start with the big brands. How are big brands coming to you and creating experiences? Do they create big experiences for big portions of their community or do they tend to localize it in a more one-on-one -on -one kind of way? What are you seeing as the emerging trends in branded experience offerings for their guests and customers? I actually see it as very varied. That's such an interesting question because, again, it's varied. It depends on the project, the purpose. You know, it could be that some big brands are like huge luxury leaders are really nurturing small communities of their VIP clients. So they're, you know, their highest end of clients where they're really nurturing them with more intimate, um, really exclusive experiences, but then sometimes it's far reaching. So again, it's very, very varied. There doesn't particularly seem to be a trend. What I do think we're seeing a lot more of is collaborative experiences. So where we see X brand partnering with X brand to create something unique because unique is a trend because everybody is trying to create something in this experience economy that garners attention. And when you put two different brands together, that then becomes unique because it's not found anywhere else, right? So it becomes unique and it's a differentiator. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's about going big or going small. It's about being the most unique at what you do and providing that point of difference that makes people go, that's the place we want to go to 
that's where we want to be. That's the person that we want to sit in their restaurant. We want to go and drink their drink. We want to eat that dish. We want to be in that environment. And, and you do that by finding your points of difference. Can you give us an example of something like that, that we may have seen and wished we could have participated in because we weren't part of that? Because I love, I love what you're talking about in terms of micro communities, but we'll address yeah. that next. But, but do you have an example to help bring that branded, that big brand, you know, yeah, sure. So, life. yeah, I mean, if you're talking about like a collaborative experience, gosh, we're seeing them all over the place. Um, a really good hospitality one actually was the um, the Burberry takeover of the the poolside at the Good Time Hotel in Miami. That was a really great one, you know, luxury brand with actually not not another luxury brand. So it was kind of it wasn't luxury partner with luxury. It was luxury partner with you know, sort of a more accessible brand, but it made it accessible to people. It made the community accessible. So it perhaps gave people that couldn't necessarily afford Burberry the access to be seen in that environment with Burberry, in that good time environment, in the hotel, via the poolside, where they're eating popsicles from the Burberry branded cart around the pool. And um, that's just one of many. I mean, we see multiple collaborations with luxury and luxury and across hospitality. But I mean... Yeah, look, I think that hospitality partnering with luxury brands is is a really good differentiator. And, and we are seeing more of it, but it's finding those unique pairings and collaborations based on where you find shared meaning, because it's not just collaborating for collaboration's sake. It's collaborating based on shared values and, you know, shared communities and where you can both add value to each other's respective communities. I, I love that example, too, because one of the things that it does is it, is it is it brings the brand to life yeah and then it plants seeds of aspiration for you sure want to go there and i i mean those are really important things to achieve a hundred percent because you know you have to remember as well when we're talking about aspiration we live in a culture you know i i always say to my clients we're not just designing for first-hand um customers we're designing for the spectator we're designing for the people that are watching experiences on social media and aspirational experiences is a very big part of that as well. So, you know, people use the experiences that they have as a part of their self-image creation. So for example, if I go to the Good Time Hotel, that that becomes a part of my self-image creation and what I share on my Instagram feed, if it's good enough to make the feed. And, you know, people may like it, love it, loathe it, hate it, whatever it is, that's the reality, you know. People aren't just aspiring for experiences. They're going, where do I want to go so I can curate my own image on my social media channels? So you're right, it is aspirational, but it's also a part of, well, how does that then become a part of my identity? And by partnering luxury with something that's kind of that, that mid-level, mid it makes it more accessible to all. And ultimately, you know, for Burberry, for them, you know, it feeds into this circular economy as well, where people might not be necessarily a, a, able to spend the money on Burberry products firsthand, but they might be buying secondhand Burberry from secondhand. So it's because they've had a touch point with the brand in an accessible environment. So I, I think collaborations are a great way to open brands up to new audiences. And I think this is something that we're going to see more and more across the hospitality industry as well. I am, as with all fabulous conversations, they fly by very, very quickly. Yeah. And we're, we're already well into the amount of time. Can we steal a few more minutes with you? Because this is so fascinating. I'm getting messages on the back end. People are watching us. And 
I have to tell you, this is, we, we could, we could do a two hour seminar with you. You, you said something really interesting and you used an important word that I think is very instrumental to understanding this moment in time, whether you're a big brand or you're a mom and pop restaurant, it's access. You can have all the money in the world, but it doesn't always and necessarily buy you access. Access becomes a very important element of the establishment of value and, and feed worthiness. Can you talk a little bit about how you understand access and make your clients understand access and then how you bring it to life in the projects you activate? Yeah, so I'm assuming you're talking about access as in making an experience accessible to, I just want to make sure I've got the question right. So making It's not just about, you know, do you get a wristband or do you get a token? I mean, it's not the sort of technicals of how do you actually walk in the door. It's about the bigger idea of how can I have people at the Good Times Hotel that may or may not know or afford Burberry have access to Burberry in a way that they might not normally have, but for this moment in time at this event in this larger context, how, you know, that's the kind of big picture access that I think is very much at the foundation and the early stages of being um, understood in this economy, in this food 3.0 world. For sure, yeah, and I think I think that's really interesting because it doesn't just stem from like the physical experience itself. So Burberry is a great example with the Good Time Hotel of how you've got those multi levels. Like I said, just sometimes you can have extreme luxury with extreme luxury, premium with premium, or you can have luxury with you know that entry level. It you know it can vary, but it's not just about the physical experience itself. So. You know, they did a great job of being able to provide access at multiple levels and opening up the brand to different levels of, you know, economies, to people that could afford different things. But then you've also got this wonderful space that we've all become far more familiar with through the pandemic, and that's the digital world. So if people can't be involved in the physical sense, there's always a way to involve people in the digital sense as well. So, you know, and and that's a way to make communities feel involved as well. You know, that could be through, there could be competitions that stem out onto social media. There could be hunts for NFTs. There's so many different ways that you can, and that's just from the top of my head, but there are so many different ways that you can create community. It doesn't just have to be at that physical entry point. It can be at digital entry point too. And that's about saying, right, well, what are we creating for the physical attendees? What are we creating for the spectators? And what what are we doing for both of those audiences? Because I think very often when we design a food or drink experience, we're just thinking about the people that sit at the table. But it's not always about the people that are sitting at the table because there are many thousands, millions of people that are potentially going to sit at the table one day. It's how do we include them in the experience too so that if they can't afford it now, we take them on a strong enough journey and experience as a spectator that when they do have the the income, that they do want to spend it with us and they do want to have those experiences with us down the line. So I always think it's designing for that that jewel and designing for the physical experience and the digital experience as well, because those are both equally important. I love that you're our friend in the business. 
And I'm going to ask you to share one or two resources that you think are essential for anybody that doesn't yet realize they're in the experience business. But here's a tip. Everybody that reads Food and Beverage Magazine is already in the experience business. That's why we're having this conversation. Yes. <laughs> but, but what are one or two tips that you can share that really demonstrate or or give me a resource to help not only educate me about what's possible, but who's doing a good job. What are the essentials? What are the, the few essentials we need to, to know to be yeah. a better experience producer? Sure. Um, experience is theirs, right? It's not ours. Experience. So I've said to everyone, experience is always theirs, your customers. It's never ours. So, you know, all of us have egos, no matter who we are, what industry we're in, we all have egos. And I think when we're designing experiences, you know, particularly in hospitality, whether we're luxury businesses, chefs, I, you know, I've worked with some of the most wonderful chefs, fabulous, but we, we can all put our hands up and say we've all got egos to an extent, you know, we can all do that. It's letting that go and remembering that experience is always in the control of your customer. Right. So we have to meet them where they are not where we want them to be. So very often we'll design a wonderful menu and we'll say, right, we, we have this fabulous seven course menu or whatever it is. That's fine. But if your customer comes to you from a starting point where they've had a terrible day, they're not gonna receive that seven course menu in the same way that somebody comes to you who has had a great day. So we can design an experience, but we always have to remember that experience is theirs. So what we need to do is wherever somebody comes to us from, be that a good day, a bad day, um, in the middle, wherever it is, we need to slide every single one of those customers up the scale from where they are, right? So we need to take them from whatever their starting point is and improve it. So that's not necessarily through the experience you've designed, but we can do that through boosting sensory appeal. So th there's so many ways we can do that, but one way that we can do that is boosting sensory appeal, make the flowers smell better, make the food taste better, make the lighting dimmer, create a better sensory atmosphere, because we know that we, when we create a better sensory atmosphere, we create endorphins, we create a better atmosphere, which makes a person feel better. Similarly- Brings them in. Of course. Yeah, of course. So wherever they are, even if they've had a bad day, even if they start from the point where they've lost a job or whatever it is that they've done, we want to, to go, this person is an individual. This experience is never going to be received the same by every person that comes to it. They all come from different starting points. So we have to remember that, that experience is theirs and that every customer comes from a different starting point. And no matter what our experience, we have to slide them all up the scale. So when they come away from our experience, they feel elevated and that they've had an improved experience from where they were. When you say that to me, I am so jazzed about how many people are going to start thinking about how they're going to renew the thinking they bring to what they do next for their guests. Where does somebody start if you're a mom and pop restaurant or a big brand and really wow. elevating their approach to experience? I think there's two things. It's like experience design and then the service design as well, right? So we've got like, what, what's the experience we're creating? And then how are we delivering it? So, you know, ultimately, if we're in hospitality, 
service delivery has to be impeccable as a minimum. You know, if we're not if we're not in the business of being great at service delivery, then we might as well stop because that that's the hospitality industry through and through, right? And then I think it's going, you know, what does the world need and want most that I can uniquely provide? We all work in a hospitality industry. We can all produce whatever we can produce, but it's like, what can I most uniquely provide? And that would be the starting point. You know, what is my differentiator? What am I really good at? And what does the world need most right now? And, and start from that point. And we can go on and on and on, but if you're asking me for a really basic starting point, what does the world, what does the world need most? I love that. I think that's so fantastic. In terms of fashion and trends, they go in cycles. Yeah. Pantone this year said that their color of the year was a, a color called very peri. In fact, my shirt, you probably can't tell in the light, but the polka dots on my shirt are very peri. So it's a very on trend. Yeah. I don't usually do things like that. But there are always trends. Yeah. What are the trends in experiences? But more importantly, what are the coming trends in experiences that you can tell us about? So that if we're doing an event at holidays time in 2022, that we're going to be chic and on trend. Do you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say avoid the trends and be ahead of it. <laughs> so it's not it's, it's not not knowing what the trends are because, you know, if we look at the experiential space, you've got this beautiful like merging of art and food and technology and you can combine them all together and you can throw everything together to create a wonderful production. But again, you have to relate it back to them, the human. They're living in a world where they are inundated with choice if you follow the trend, you just end up being like the trend. You're not different, right? The best way you can capture human attention and consumer attention is to do something different. So it's not necessarily about not bringing on technology and art. Yes, those are wonderful things to do, but please do it in your own unique way or consult with somebody to work with you to say, right, this, this is what's working, but... How do we merge that with your unique ability to create something that is unique to you? Can we collaborate with someone? And how do we differentiate? Because in a world of choice where attention is a currency, your imagination is a commodity. And I'm telling you, the more you use your imagination to create something unique, that's where you thrive. So I'm going to kind of say ignore the trends. Okay. <laughs> and what you're, what you're also saying I'm hearing is... Be in alignment with your authentic self. 100%. Whether you're a mom and pop restaurant or a big brand, make it clear and align with your mission and your message. For sure. And then sprinkle some experiential magic that captures eyeballs and attention. And when we say stuff like that, I'm going to go back 10 years and say, you know, that's the, that's the um, Beaumore uh, Oyster Luge or it's the uh, experience you had at a party where you you take pictures. I mean, we there's an entire industry of creative people coming up with ways to delight us, 100%. and that's never going to change. But we're going to sure. have experts like you to say, who are you? What's important to you? And what do you want to do to welcome your guests? Whether your guests are coming to your restaurant or your event, or they're going to be your customers for life. I love that you're helping us translate that into an activated experience. 
And I, I love that you mentioned NFTs. We'll have to have you back for a second session. How love big you. is the realm of cryptocurrency uh, based NFTs in this? How many projects are you seeing use NFTs as access tokens and how else are they using NFTs? Do you know what? It is such a minefield. It's such an interesting world, this world of NFTs, I think, right now. Um, just seen a really, really interesting experience, actually, um, at the Savoy in London. Um, not Sorry, not the Savoy, the Rosewood in London. They produce a fantastic NFT afternoon tea, and they've done it really, really well. So what they've done is they've, they've produced these kind of Salvador Dali-inspired cakes as a part of their afternoon tea. And within one of the cakes is like um, a QR code. And as part of that, guests can scan the QR code and then all of a sudden through, you know, through AR, they've got the, you know, the, the whole aviary around filled with butterfly. I, I move a lot, don't I? They've got the whole aviary <laughs> filled with butterflies. But as a part of that as well, they've released a certain number of NFTs that people who have experienced the afternoon tea can collect. So they're very exclusive to the people that have had that specific afternoon tea and um, I think that's interesting I also think something that could be quite interesting is something which is called POAP which is proof of attendance protocol and essentially it's like um, a token that sits on the blockchain that proves that you've attended something that so it proves that you've attended an event or something for example so I think this could be a great way for restaurants to incentivize people to come back. So it could be that restaurants create um, a very experiential, high-end, beautiful dinner. And for everybody that attends that dinner, whenever it's run over a series of dates, they collect their token, their, their POAP, and that goes onto their blockchain record. So it shows that they've been there for X event and they've had this special dinner at this particular restaurant. And then the restaurant can use that as an incentive the more that they collect through these different dinners to pull them back for different rewards and incentives. So I think that's a great way to encourage repeat business. And that's a great way to use this type of technology. But at the moment, none of us are experts. The whole NFT world is a minefield. We're all navigating it. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to find ways to innovate and use them effectively within the space. And um, so I think, again, it, it is just kind of navigating the space, looking what people are doing and, and not always necessarily jumping on something immediately because sometimes the people that jump on things immediately fall very quickly so i think it's kind of being innovative enough but also considered considered enough to go is this on brand for us is this, is this consistent with us does this work and let's give it a go but i always say better to try and fail and try again than to not try at all so i definitely think we should be dipping our toes into those waters and by the way po apps are big in the states okay they're less big in the uk yeah. and where i think they're going to be really interesting is for pop-ups and i don't yes. know if you're having and yeah. i don't mean pop-ups in terms of a restaurant that only is there for a week mm -hmm. or two i mean something that pops up on a menu yeah interesting so you may have a steakhouse that yes. does very traditional steakhouse cuisine that never does hamburgers or cheeseburgers, but that once a month does a hamburger and cheeseburger that's a Michelin three-star cheeseburger, yeah. and they only do 25 of them. Yeah, perfect. And that, and that when you get one, you also get this PO app to prove that I got the special cheeseburger. For sure. And there's going to be a collectability. And, and, but again, I'm going to point out that is access. 
it is. Yeah, it is. It's access. And it's also that aspirational. I've, this is a part of my self image creation, you know, and everything that we're talking about here is about them. It's about the customer. We always have to think about it in relation to, to them, you know, they're collecting these power apps, but, but why? And the why is because it's, it forms a part of their identity. Because, because it's the same reason I wear this limited edition sneaker, the limited edition, anything that I have. It's not that I have the money or I don't have the money to buy the Birkin bag from Hermes. I can have all the money in the world, but I may be on the wait list for it for 12 years. Yeah, exactly. You can have the money, but you can't get the bag. Exactly. A hundred percent. When, I love it comes, that when it comes to food, you can have yeah. all the money in the world. But if Noma, long time, best restaurant in the world, number one restaurant in the world, mm -hmm. Chef Redzepi decides to make a cheeseburger, I can tell you, it'll probably be a really delicious cheeseburger. But if he does it in a limited quantity and you're already waiting six months for a reservation to get to the restaurant, the limitation on the access becomes, how can I get you access? Think of the world of NFTs and co-ops and all this digital technology like a digital concierge. For sure. For sure. And that scarcity is such a driver, isn't it, of experience? And, you know, we've all we've all experienced scarcity in a different way over the last couple of years. We've experienced it because we've not been able to access anything. You know, we've been restricted from a whole world of experiences, a whole world of hospitality and dining. So we know what that we know what that lack feels like. And because collectively, globally, we know what lack feels like. We crave it more. You know, now is the time where experiences can thrive and some. You know, we are all in the experience business and our customers have never been more ready for them because we've lacked them. So you're quite right. That access is, that scarcity, it drives it more. So um, I, I think there's a, a really, really interesting future with regard to NFTs, POAPs and everything that, that sits around it. We're just well, at the beginning. <laughs> I love that you mentioned the Savoy and the Rosewood, but I also want to mention, I, and of course, you're talking about the United Kingdom. Of course, we're talking about tea, but we have to mention some of our other very favorite places in London, some of the great um, bars yeah. that are the world-renowned, best-in-the-world public houses, um, the Savoy again, Scarves yeah. Bar. Uh, oh, so we love Scarves. We love the team yeah. at Scarves. Aren't they fantastic? Uh, I just love Scarves Bar, one of my favorites in the world. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where you take your guests to have experiences. I don't know if you want to get immersive in rum and go to Black Parrot or you go to these places that are so quintessential to an exquisite experience because whatever they do, they do it. Well, and this is how I want to finish up with, with my favorite word. I have two favorite words, convivial, but irresistible. What are the, how important is irresistible in creating experiences today? Irresistible is really important because ultimately, you know, that this is what we're all looking to do. We want to create something that people can't help but want to attend, tell their friends and family about so they come and then tell more and more and more people. We don't get that by following trends. We get that by being unique and extraordinary and becoming those irresistible businesses that people go, I 
I've got to go there. You know, I pick my experiences that I take colleagues, friends and family to based upon the people. So I never pick somewhere because it's a popular place. I pick it because I know, look, I work around human design. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a psychologist, you know, I work around my, I know my friends' personalities. I know my, my family's personalities. I know when a person goes to a place, how they're going to interact with it. And for me, that's everything. And that that's what makes something irresistible. What's irresistible to one might not be to another. So it's where human condition meets experience in that condition. And that's when magic happens. I can't tell you how much fun. I know you thought that... Um that this was maybe, we, we were gonna go 20 minutes, we've doubled that and we could Sorry. double this again. This has been so fast and so fun. You've been so incredibly generous. I cannot thank you enough. I hope everybody that's joining us, their wheels are turning because we're all in service. Let's find out. The most important element of all of this is our business is a service business. We are in service to our guests and now more than ever, hospitality and welcoming, making you welcome at our table, see you, hear you, you matter. I get it. I want to give you those things. And you have just opened up a world of consideration for us. I can't thank you enough. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you. This has been super fun. If people want to and by the way, do you do things outside of the UK or are you just as your name suggests? focused on the UK? No, that's just based on the location. I do. I work all around the world. I do stuff in the Middle East, US, Europe, all over the place. Yeah. I have to give you a tip. There's a brand new bar in British Columbia, in Vancouver, in North Vancouver, called the Copper Penny Distilling Company. It's okay, well, right brand back. new. And if you don't know it. Wonderful. Thank it's, you. It's <laughs> Scarves Bar Worthy. Oof. That's, that's taken me in immediately. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to put it on your list. Thank you. I will visit. And, and when you come to our part of the world, I would love to host you and give you the experience of welcoming you into our world. You've given us an extraordinary gift today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd love that. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must-read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, or wherever fine books are sold.